And we're going to be on page 1038. And so if you grab that and turn to page 1038, um, you'll be able to follow along with us this morning and see that uh, what we're talking about really is in the Word of God. It's not our, our opinion. And I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we launch out on this message time. So let's pray. <clears throat> God, I'm so incredibly thankful for each person who's been in this building already and each person who's in this room right now. Uh, I know that you worked in uh, mysterious and wondrous ways, um, ways that we're aware of and ways that we're not, to bring them uh, to this hour at this time, and I, we trust you with it. Uh, we trust that you will use uh, your word. We trust that we, you will use your spirit to draw people to yourself, to, uh, to convict us where we need convicted, to encourage us where we need encouraged, to uh, support those who are, who are struggling, uh, to comfort those who are, who are afflicted and afflicted those who are too comfortable. Um, God, we ask that you would do this um, and that you get the glory from all of it. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So a couple years ago, <clears throat> I picked up a, a new TV at, at Sam's Club. Shout out to all you dads who shop at Sam's Club like me, right? And uh, came home and installed it and uh, was, was stunned by a development. Once I plugged it in, turned it on, and realized that there was all kinds, just hundreds of free channels. Uh, it was called like Samsung TV Plus. And I was scrolling through them trying to learn like, what are these? And the vast, vast majority of them are worthless, right? There's one called The Big Break which if you don't know what that is, that means you're like every other human being ever. Uh, it was like this, from what I can tell, it was a reality show on the Golf Channel like 20 years ago of like 12 people who tried to make it to the tour and none of them did and they just keep playing it 24 hours a day. Like the same reality show over and over again. Why anybody would ever need that channel, I don't know, right? But they're free, so I don't complain about them. And uh, there are two uh, that I, I do park on the most. One, one is Fail Army. Um, it's just videos of people making a fool of themselves and falling down and that will never, ever not be funny to me. I'll never be a point of maturity where I won't laugh at that, okay? But the one I always leave it on because it's the safe one, right? So whenever one of my daughters turn on TV, there's not going to be anything objectionable on this channel, and it's a great channel, is the Bob Ross channel. Okay. Now, I don't know how many, I can hear some of you already, right? I don't know how many of you know who Bob Ross is. I think I should say was. I'm pretty sure he's dead, and if he's not dead, sorry wherever you are, Bob, right? Um, but, the, but this man was a gift, and I, I can say that because I'm not his target demographic. Okay, the idea that I would sit around and watch someone do art is laughable. Okay? But when it's Bob, I can't help it. Right? When he pops up on the screen in that beautiful low definition and perfectly terrible audio that's just the right ASMR, I get hooked every time. Right? And a lot of it is just, is, is just him, right? It's his, his deep Vs. He's always got the buttons unbuttoned. So you can see way too much of his chest hair, right? And, and he's always smiling. He's always happy. And, and then he makes the paintings look so easy, and I know they're not. And so I'll occasionally just be stuck on one and watch him. And I'll just throw out comments to anybody who's listening, mainly my wife, who's not listening, right? Uh, she treats it like she does when I watch football games, and I'll say something. She's like, oh, yeah, that's nice, you know. And I remember one in particular, he, he'd set up this, this scene with, I mean, the most beautiful colors he'd ever used to paint, like a sunset, and there was some still water. And I said, I'm, you know me, I'm not like an artsy guy, but I would buy that painting. That's the most beautiful painting I've ever seen. You know what Bob did next? He took the biggest brush he had, he dipped it in this really dark brown ink, and right down the middle third of the painting just did a huge line of, black, of, of, of brown ink. And I actually said out loud, no, Bobby, no, <laughs> right? Like, what are you doing? You know, it was perfect. And then he did another one. And then the psycho did a third. And I was like, what is he doing? And I, was, I just kept telling Corinne, he's ruining it. And by this time, she's completely checked out on me, you know? 
And I'm like, I gotta see where this goes because he just took, I mean, literally the most beautiful painting I've ever seen and completely demolished it. And what is, what is he doing? And he just kept going. About five minutes later, I was like, okay. I mean, I, I get it. It's still not as good as it was. About another five minutes later, I was like, all right, you know, props to you, Bob. That looks okay. And then 20 minutes later, it was a masterpiece that looked better than it did before. And it turned out old Bobby knew what he was doing all along, right? And the reason I tell you that story is because we've said it multiple times. We're, we're taking a break from Mark today to have a family chat, and we're at a very unique time in our church's journey. I won't lie to you. It has been the hardest, most difficult, and challenging season I've ever experienced in ministry. And the reason why is because we had a painting as a church. And there was some good, visible success to it. It looked good. There was goodwill among the congregation. We're unified. And there was a vision directly from the New Testament that we were pursuing together. And that vision was multiplication. The vision was sending. The vision was pursuing church planning. And among that, in a, a huge part of our strategy was a remodel and expansion of this very room that we're sitting in, an entirely new wing off the back and several other changes to our current building. And the reason that was so important was because with that, if we could accomplish that, we could continue on just as we were, we were. We'd have to make no changes to our service schedule, no changes to what we offered, while still being able to pursue the planting and sending that God has made clear we should. And while we were pursuing that, God saw fit to put a big old splotch of dark ink directly on the middle of our planning, painting. He saw fit to bring change where some of us didn't want change. He used factors that were completely outside of our control, and I don't pretend to know the future. Well, I think we've all learned that since 2020. I don't pretend to know even one millionth of the mind of God. But I sit before you this morning fully convinced of this. Our painter knows what he's doing. He doesn't need us to see it. He doesn't need us to agree with it in advance because he's making a masterpiece and there's nobody who does it better. And the calls in his scriptures are undeniable. When we use language like this around here, language of sending and going and multiplying, those aren't catchphrases. They aren't fun little terms. They aren't goals we have. They aren't options. They are direct mandates and commands in God's word. We must pursue them. But you see, for that to work, what is being replicated must be healthy. We must be a church of God's word, and not just in our social or political stances, but in the way that we follow God's design for church. Or else, we are multiplying something unhealthy and sending it out, and that does no good for anybody. And God, in his loving care and his wisdom and his shepherding, he decided we needed more work. He decided the painting wasn't ready. And it's not even that we needed this, but he's been proven right. Now, so today, we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians 4, and just to help frame it, there's another famous passage in Matthew 28. You don't need to turn there. It's, just, it's, it's the passage known as the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus gives us what is the vision for our lives. That for everybody who's in his kingdom, everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, this is our life mission, that we would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded us. That is your life mission if you're a follower of Jesus. But here in Ephesians 4, it gets much more targeted. In Ephesians 4, we are given God's design, his blueprint for how the local church of Jesus should operate within the parameters of the big C church. 
And so if FBN is your church home this morning, what I want to ask you to do is, is to roll up your sleeves and commit to pursuing God's design for church with us together with those that God has placed you with. If you're a guest, again, I want, I want to thank you for coming. And I, I've told you before, you're going to get to see how and why God designed the local church to operate as it did. If you're new around here, you might even be aware of all that's happening. Great. All right, today's going to be kind of like a state of union address for you. And hopefully you catch a vision for how God could use you in this. If you're a college student, I want you to see and know how God has designed the local church so that wherever you end up in your life, you can pursue being a positive force for this design and try to experience it at whatever level your life allows here while you can. And all of you, all of you, I promise there is space for you to experience this here because this is how the Lord has set up his church. And so I'm gonna invite Drew Allman to read today's passage. He's gonna be reading Ephesians 4, verses 10 through 16. If you're physically capable, would you please stand with us to honor the reading of God's word? Good morning. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the technique of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Thanks, Drew. You guys have a seat. As always, keep your Bibles open there. We're going to be referencing a lot back to that passage. And isn't it a beautiful passage? Man, it's like if you understand what that thing is saying, it will blow you away. And I need to make a confession off the start from, from, for my sake, is I cannot possibly do justice to that passage in one sermon. You don't know how much I wanted to say, we're going to have a family chat now until May, right? But I showed some restraint, okay? And so I hope you're proud of me on that. We'll be back in March next week. So what we're going to do today is very much a flyover, but I want, I, I, this is why this is important. I really want to invite you to really dig in deeper in this passage in your group times this week uh, with your spouse and your own personal reading of the word. Like go back, go back and read it multiple times and really seek to understand how God has set up the church to run. Because while it seems laid out clearly and apparent in this passage, I've rarely, I've been in, the, in churches for 41 years now, I've rarely seen this lived out. Now, again, Ephesians 4, Paul is writing the church at Ephesus, and he lays out for them God's design for the local church and how and why this should work. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus appoints leaders with a clear goal. And you need to know there's not a portion of his church that Jesus Christ does not have rightful authority over. That includes every single local congregation that is a church in his name. And so FBN is not different in that. The top of our org chart is Jesus. He's the great shepherd, and everyone else slides under him. And in verse 10, where Drew started reading, Paul is talking about Jesus, right? When he says, uh, the one who descended and the one who ascended, that's Jesus. He's the one who did both of those. 
His dissension was when he came and took on human form, right? When God took on our flesh, became one of us, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to offer us forgiveness of our sins, then rose again to offer us eternal life. That was his dissension. And then afterwards, he sins back to the Father. And now, according to Philippians 2, he's been given the name that is above every single name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Right? 1 Corinthians 15 says that he's seated right now at the right hand of the Father, ruling with authority, putting each one of his enemies systematically under his feet. And so verse 10 is talking about Jesus. Verse 11 tells us that it's he himself, so Jesus himself, who appoints leaders over his church. And in verse 11, Paul mentions four different roles. And again, we'd like to break down each of them and what they are and their unique times in church history and more, but that's going to have to be another day. What I want us to see today is why. Why? Why does Jesus give his church, including each local congregation leaders? What is the purpose and function of those leaders? What is their clear mandate? And we find it in verse 12. Right? Verse 11, he gives the leaders, verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, there's a subtle difference there, but the ramifications of it are huge. When church is done God's way, leaders are not to minister to everyone. They are to develop ministers. Pastors and elders and deacons aren't to do the work of ministry. They are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And what I observed in church growing up is probably similar. If you grew up in church, you probably saw something similar to what I observed. And what it was was some really subtle twisting of language that all sounded just right enough and just good enough. But it's a direct departure from the design we see here in Ephesians 4 because language is sneaky but powerful. The ideas that were presented to me were like this, is that church is something you go to. You go to church. That the leader's job is to feed you. And if you are a really dedicated core like member, you might serve in some way. But man, none of that is the design of what we see here in the scriptures. God's design isn't that you go to church, it's that you are the church. It's not something that you can go to. It's not something you can compartmentalize in your life. It's not something that you can leave. It's your identity. You belong to Jesus Christ and you belong to him and his church. The leaders of your local congregation, their job is not just to feed you, it's to equip you. Being fed comes with this connotation, right? It's give me what I need to inspire me to feel closer to God this week. Again, who would say that's a bad thing? It's not a bad thing but it falls short of design. It, it stops one base too early. Equipping means training and preparing and inspiring and exhorting you to live out your faith in service to your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and in witness to non-believers. Because it's not about you. The Christian faith never has been. And in God's design, serving isn't an option for a select, devoted few. It's a mandated, integrated aspect of the design being woven into being part of Christ's church. Now, when this design is adhered to, there, there are some amazing results to come from this, amazing byproducts of this. And let's just list them, right? Let's list what we find here. Because when we told, we're told that when we do church God's way, then it's we who are changed, and this is the fruit that God will bring as a result of a local body following his design. Number one, in verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
Now, Karen and I have been looking recently to uh, try to find a, a wider variety of parenting resources. And what we're looking for is we're trying to find voices of people who raise large families and everyone still likes each other. Right? Now, we have higher goals than that, but one of our goals is that all our girls would still like each other, right? And so there's one parent in particular that she pointed me out to who had so many kids, the number stressed me out. I can't even say it, right? But she talks about what she does with siblings who are in repeated conflict with one another. And what she does is she says she always gives them a common task. To give them some sort of unified mission, some goal that they had to work together to accomplish. And it always has a way of diffusing the conflict. Do you realize the brilliance of God's design? We have that. We who are brothers and sisters, we have that in the church of Jesus. We've been given a common task. We've been given the same mission. We've been given the same design. And when we do it together, we have the promise here that we will grow in unity. And just in that, we will grow in the knowledge of Jesus in his word. And the result of that in verse 14 is that when we hear all the different ideologies out there in this world that that go directly against God's word, we're not going to be tossed about them. We're not going to be enticed by them because we know what truth is. We can spot a lie because we know what truth is. The second byproduct of this is that we grow in maturity, according to verse 13. And, what the, and I want you to see the standard of what that maturity is. Let's read verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So what, what is the standard through which we measure maturity? It's measured by Christ's fullness. And so what that means is this. Maturity, growing in maturity in your faith, is becoming more like Jesus Christ. Don't you think your spouse and your family and those you live with and those you work with and those that you interact with, don't you think their lives would be better off if you sounded a whole lot more like Jesus and a whole lot less like you? If you reacted a whole lot more like Jesus and a whole lot less like you, when we follow this design, these are the things that happen. The third one, according to verse 15, is that we will begin to speak the truth in love to one another. Now, this is important because none of us are perfect. There's not a one of us that will ever get anything right. But being a part of the church is we can act as rumble strips for each other. You know those really annoying, like really loud strips on the side of the highway that when your wheel just barely touches it, it like rattles your entire car and wakes up anybody in the car that was sleeping? Their purpose is to be annoying. You know why? Because they're warning like you're going in the wrong direction. And if you don't correct, you're going to go off the road and end up in a ditch. Well, drop the annoyance part. But in the church of Jesus, we can do this for each other. We can be there for one another. And it's all based on genuine love and concern. That's why Paul writes specifically, we speak the truth in love. Because truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. But in God's design, we can have both for each other. And the greatest byproduct of this is in verse 16, is that the body will build itself up that you all would be a mutual encouragement to one another, building each other up. Man, life is hard. And if we're going to be honest, following Jesus often makes it harder. Right? The, the, your best life is, is delayed. It's to come. And so you're going to have to compete with the ideologies of this world that stand against what you know to be true. You're going to have to compete with the sins of others. You're going to have to compete with your own weaknesses and your own physical limitations and your body failing. And you're going to have to compete with the ever-present reality of your own sin. 
But when church is done God's way, the body builds itself up. Members inspire each other, care for each other, look out for one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, serve one another, are there for each other. That's what Hebrews 10 says. It says, let us consider one another. That literally means let us think about each other in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now this sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds amazing. Why, why in the world would anybody push back against this? Why is this a challenge to experience? Why have I seen it lived out so rarely? Because this, all this sounds wonderful. Well, it's because we often are the ones that get in the way of this. Because there aren't just these amazing byproducts that come of this, there are also real ramifications to this design. That in order to do church God's way, there are sacrifices that need to be made. There are realities that come apart as this, that come as a result of this design that we must be upfront about and honest about and confront. Now, all of these ramifications and sacrifices are worth it. Number one, because God knows what he's doing. And number two, because remember what we just talked about, all the amazing byproducts that come from it. But that doesn't mean that these ramifications won't be hurdles that our sinful natures will have to get overcome. And so what are these ramifications? Well, they're almost endless. But here are a few of the biggest ones. Number one, you have a role to play. And yes, I'm talking to you. It means attending, even consistently, is not the finish line. That's not where God has drawn the finish line, his word. There's something that God has for you to be actively pursuing for the good of those that you're in a local church with. God meant it when he says in 1 Corinthians 12 that if you're a follower of Jesus, he has given you a, at least one spiritual gift that is designed for the edification and building up of the body that you're involved with. It means that God meant what he says in Ephesians 2 when he says that he has created good works in advance just for you to do. Attending cannot be the finish line in this line. You have a role to play. Another ramification is that leadership cannot give you what you want. The job of local church leadership is not to make you happy. It's not to give in to your demands. In fact, it's often to stretch you and make you uncomfortable. Shepherding, as it's laid out in the New Testament, the best definition I've heard of it is this, that shepherding is comforting those who are afflicted and afflicting those who are too comfortable. Because there is no equipping, and there is no training, and there is no sending, and there is no going, and there is no multiplying, there is no sacrificing without discomfort and stretching. Thirdly, being fed isn't the only goal. If, in fact, if the prison through which you view your church experience, it isn't to be funneled through you at all. Do you know there's not one single command in the New Testament to make sure you're being fed? But there are 59 what are known as the one another commands in the New Testament. 59 different commands about how you're to treat and how you're to focus on and how you're to live out for and how you're to serve others, especially those you're in a local congregation with. 59 of them, a small sample. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet, love one another, honor one another, be patient with one another, be devoted to one another, accept one another, carry one another's burdens, outdo one another in brotherly love, and about 50 more. You see, the primary activity of the church in the New Testament is to one another, one another. 
Right? That these are behaviors that we do out of an outflow of our relationship with and our closest to Jesus, yes, but these are not things that we do solely unto Jesus. They require other people in order for us to fulfill them and obey them. There are many other ramifications that we don't have time to unpack, like we must be known. In order to experience this level of community, you have to be known. You can't keep everything on the surface level. You must row together arm and arm with others. You, ministry has to expand beyond this building. It has to expand outside of Sunday mornings. It cannot ever be confined to time or space. And the biggest one is this, that this is God's design, and so he won't accept anything less than it. And now, the time is short, and so, so what do we do with this? Well, my encouragement is this. Let's be sure, FBN, that we set the bar where God sets it. This is the standard. This is the design. We didn't make it. We didn't describe it. We didn't write it. So we don't get to alter it. And in our history, we've had a pretty good success at creating experiences that people liked. And praise God for that. We've had pretty good success at causing people to feel a base level of connection. And I don't discount that. And I praise God for that. In our history, God has raised up an incredibly generous congregation. I praise God for that. And he's raised up a devoted core of faithful servants who make this place run. And I praise God for that. But Ephesians 4, this design, this level of all rowing together, all looking out for each other, this level of selfless, authentic community, this level of getting people to see that you are part of the church for the sake of others, not your own personal preferences, this level of speaking truth in love and building each other up and provoking each other towards love and good works on a wider scale level, we haven't had as much success with those. And it's because all of us, and hear me, I'm, I'm including myself in this, we have this way of settling for what we like and not necessarily what we're called to. And I wonder if we've just become too comfortable with a lower bar. We've just become too comfortable accepting people being stagnant and not growing in their faith and acting the same way they did 10 years ago. If we've become too comfortable not living out the mission that Jesus has given us and pursuing some other mission, if we've become too comfortable accepting not having authentic community and discipleship in our lives instead of prayerfully pursuing those things and too protective over things that do not produce the fruit that the Bible demands. Church, let's keep the bar where God sets it. And together, right, together strive to attain it with his help and grace. And the greatest part of that is there's nobody who wants us to succeed in this more than him. But as we do, this is going to be key. As we do, we must aim for balance. There is a balance in these verses that is beautiful. And that balance is a balance between service and connection. It runs through the whole chapter, verse 7, which Drew didn't read for us. I didn't have him read. It tells us that there's a grace given to each of us, right? This is a gift for the service to the body. Uh, verse 13, the saints are doing the work of the ministry. Verse 16, the body is building itself up. You see the themes of service running through this whole design. And yet there's also the theme of connection permeating through. We're reaching unity in verse 13. Speaking the truth and love to one another in verse 15. We are fitted and knit together in Christ's fullness in verse 16. 
It's service and it's connection and it's balance together. And that balance is crucial because when it gets off, disaster strikes. If you have no service or too little service, then what you might think happens is that you might think that you would actually just have all connection, but the opposite actually occurs. Because when there's no service or too little service, you actually lose connection with the body because you're not rowing together. You're not pursuing a common goal. You don't have that common task that you're working with others with. And so your church experience quickly becomes about you. And in that, it's over time, it's give me what I expect. And if you do, I'll be here. And if you don't, I won't. And it won't even break your heart to go because you've never experienced the level of connection that God intended because you never really joined people in their mission. If you have all service and too little connection, this results in the same thing. You lose connection with the body. And man, as a pastor, I've seen this happen to so many people whose hearts were in the right place. They saw a need and they wanted to fill it. They wanted to be the people who said yes to Jesus. And so they said yes to something and filled a need and then said yes to another and said yes to another and said yes to another. And next thing you know, there's no time or space left for connection. It was all service. And without that, there's not a soul on this planet that if you continue that week after week after week, that bitterness won't start forming. That you won't start comparing how much you're doing to others and you start feeling like the church only uses you for something. And you'll say, I just don't feel the connection I felt when I first started saying yes. And I'm gonna tell you, I'm, I'm heartbroken over this. Because I've seen it happen again and again and again at this place. And I love this place too much to just sit back and watch us churn through people whose hearts just wanted to serve the Lord. And so the question I want you to take to the Lord this morning is, is your balance off? Because whether you're not pitching in enough or you're serving way too much, the result is always in a lack of connection. If you don't serve enough, please take steps to remedy that. You have gifts, you have talents, you have capabilities, you have health, you have means to help those that you're to be rowing with. And if it's insecurity or lack of training or anxiety or apathy or laziness or some other mission you're pursuing or something else keeping you from taking the step, I'm telling you, none of those are insurmountable in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come seek us. Come find us. We will gladly train you. We'll gladly help you find your place. And if you do it for no other reason, do it to help us stop mowing through devoted people, please. And if you feel high on service and low on connection, then make a change. Before you leave this place in bitterness to try somewhere new, try FBN new. You have our permission to scale back service. In fact, if you're in crisis, I insist on it. But don't just eliminate, add in connection. Pursue active, ongoing, encouraging relationship with other people. Pursue that one another style of living that you've been designed for. And here's the reality, church. When everybody's sitting in rows like this, we can't do any of the one another's. Right, when we're all looking in one direction, listening to somebody like me bloviate on and on, that doesn't get you to one another style of living. And so there's two flags that we want to plant for this year of ministry, and I want you to hear about them, and I want you to pursue them. And the first is family nights. 
Starting next month, on February 8th, and on the second Wednesday of the month, for every month after, from 5.30 to 6.30, we're going to have a fellowship meal, and you all are invited. Now, I know not everyone's going to take us up on this, but I think a lot of people will. And you all are invited because we gather across three services on Sundays now, and so we have the potential to be more disconnected than ever. And so once a month, we're going to cram in a room, or two rooms, or three rooms, or four rooms, or however much it takes, and we're going to eat together. And yes, yes. It's a free meal for you and your family on a weeknight, praise the Lord. But if you come, come for something more than that. If you come, I want you to come with your eyes up. I want you to look for connections that you can make. I want you to sit with somebody you wouldn't normally sit by. I want you to sit with people that you don't have time to connect with on a Sunday morning. Get to know them, ask them where they're from, ask them about their families, ask them about their hobbies, see what the Lord may spark. And after the meal, we're going to have prayer and biblical training and encouragement for everyone kindergarten on up. And we're going to do this the second Wednesday of every month. And the second flag we want to plant today is one that many of you already know about and many of you are involved in already, and we're thankful for that. We want to make it known to everybody, and that's groups. Because when it comes to connection, circles are better than rows. You have to move beyond an experience where you are one of many to where you are one of few. And being known is scary, and being known takes time, but it's an absolute necessity for the follower of Jesus. So if you're in a group this morning, and you feel like you've already checked this off, well, I've got a few encouragements for you. Please commit to making this a priority. It's not something that you do when you don't have anything else going on. It works best when it's the priority that you schedule around. We're not looking to become a church with groups. We're asking the Lord to make us a church of groups. And we've got multiple different options, men's groups, women's groups, hybrid groups, groups where everybody's involved, right? And, and there's a handout for you in the back right by the bulletins. If you haven't taken one of those that describe you the entire vision for group ministry, I, I encourage you to take one of those today. As you know, we're pouring more effort and more resources and more training this than we ever have. There is already a devoted army of group leaders, saints that are being equipped to do the work of the ministry that are going to training, that are praying, that are giving their time for you. All for you. So that you can grow in your faith. You can grow in connection to people. And you need to know at the outset, the goal of group will be for you to have both connection and discipleship. The goal is that you will mature, that you will find how God has gifted you, that you'll be encouraged, that you'll be equipped to serve and lead and actually pour yourself out for others. It will be to push you more and more into what we see here in Ephesians 4. It is not designed to be something that you attend, be blessed by the contributions of others, contribute very little yourself, and then repeat that ad nauseum. The design is for you to join in with a group of people who are already on mission and then together increase your love and obedience to Jesus Christ. If you're not yet a part of that and you want that connection, the Lord is stirring you up to have that experience, there's a way in the back that you can sign up for that today. And I want to let you know, we wouldn't mind being blown away today. I don't think we will because a lot of you are already involved in this. We wouldn't mind being blown away by having so many sign-ups that we can't place them yet. And if that happens, you'll be placed on a waiting list because I would rather you have a good group experience than a bad one. And I promise you, every week behind the scenes, we are working hard to prepare more and more group leaders to offer this experience for more and more people. Secondly, there's a sign-up in the back for you if you think that your, your serve connection balances off. 
Maybe you feel like the Lord is stirring you that you aren't doing enough to help everyone else row around here. Or maybe you're feeling that you're getting into that crisis zone and you need to make a change. And if, that's, if you're on either side of that, we want you to sign up and we will, a pastor and elder will meet with you and come up with an action plan just to get you and your family back in balance. We're serious about this because we're an unfinished painting church. We're not yet what he intends for us to be. And in that, we've hurt people because we're not perfect. And if you're on that list, I'm sorry, I truly am. But my hope today is not in our ability to somehow get this right going forward. My hope today is not in our collective wisdom. My hope today is definitely not in my leadership. My hope is securely in the fact that God saw fit to run a big old splotch of paint right across our canvas. And do you know why? because that's the evidence that tells us the brush is still in his hand and he's still working and he's not done yet and so neither are we let's pray Father I thank you I thank you for the brothers and sisters of Christ that you've brought here to FBN I thank you for the people of FBN that you've given me the privilege of knowing and serving with and loving and experiencing and and, and doing life together. I thank you that in your wisdom, in your sovereignty, in your goodness, you brought this group together. And Lord, if there's any guests here today who, uh, who feel like this is a weird Sunday to come, Lord, I pray that they would just see the efforts that you have put in to making a community of people reality for them. God, you're not an aloof God. You're not a far off God. You pursued them. You died for them to offer them eternal life, to offer them a unified mission, to offer them an authentic community for their life, that you have a purpose, you have a plan, you have a vision for them, and it will be better for them if they find it. And Lord, for the rest of us, for all who call FBN home, I pray that you in this time of response would just lead us to ponder one question you answer for us. What is the step that we can take to help the people that we love, the people that we row with, the people that we serve with, the people that we call this place home with. What's the step that we can take to help them and us look more like Ephesians 4? We wait your responses and pray you'll find us obedient and submissive. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Before we dismiss you, we're going to give you time to do just that, to pray to the Lord, have a time of response, just to seek his wisdom on where he might lead you this morning. This is your time with him. Please take advantage of it.